So with that being said, I want to get ready to introduce a very, very good friend of ours. And uh, she's been here before, but it's probably been a little bit too long since she's been here because we love to have her. And her name is Lisa Ankney. And I want to tell you a little bit about that. I'm going to let, let you uh, do what you do. But Lisa, we met Lisa through Connie and Stan, our Tuesday night folks. A lot of times people say, oh, I haven't seen you. Some people come on Tuesday nights and some people come on Sunday. So it's all good because it's one family because it's all under Jesus as the head. Amen. But we met Lisa several years ago and she does a marketplace ministry up in Newport News. And she's got a lot of legs of that. I, I only know of a couple of them, but she's always got something going uh, with her crew. And she's got a place called The Circuit. And we love to go there. It's a coffee house, but much more. She uses that building for anything and everything she can think of to glorify God. And, man, I tell you, it's a great training ground, I'd say. I think it's amazing. But we love going there, and we try to keep you guys um, in the loop when we get to play there. It's up on Hidingwood uh, Shopping Center. It's a beautiful place, probably one of the most uh, prettiest places that we, we play. But the best thing about it is she's a good steward with stuff. You know, and you can see it when they do stuff. And it's a great a great place to get away. So they get bands throughout uh, the, the different weeks in the, in the winter. She's always got something going on. She's got God's Girls Ministry that, that helps uh, young ladies and mature ladies about um, just get back on their feet and just draw them close to God. And so there's a whole lot of things going on. But I know that she loves the Lord, and you're going to see that today. So I want you guys to give a big KTP welcome to Miss Lisa. It's all you. It's um, always a privilege to be here, and I appreciate my friends, Connie Stanley, Cindy Stanley, being here, and Lori being here this morning. Um, it's funny how you get nervous. I don't know how if Buddy and Tanya do this when they go to other places, but I always get nervous when I um, speak in front of other people. It doesn't change my desire to do it, because I feel like the Word of God is worth sharing with people. And that's really what I'm going to be doing today is um, actually sharing the word with you. And I'm probably going to be reading it. I have my Bible here, but I'm probably going to be reading it from my phone simply because I've been doing that a lot lately and I've gotten used to it. And I can set the type to whatever size I want it to be. <laughs> um, so I'm just going to pray and then we'll get started right with the word. Father, I thank you that your word is living and that it becomes new every time it's spoken and that you will pierce into our hearts what ne where needs to be pierced with your love and your mercy and your grace and um, whatever we need to bring us into that intimate relationship with you. So I thank you for my words, God, that they would honor you today. And I thank you, Father, for each one of these people here, that their ears would be open to hear what you would have for them. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Um, the, the Bible that I brought with me today is the Message Bible. And um, it's, uh, it's not even really a translation. So I'm just, I'm just saying this ahead of time because some people are really like, it's got to be the King James or it's got to be this and it's got to be that. And I don't want anybody to get messed up and not hear what I say because of that. I'm going to be reading from the Message Bible. And I tend to move a little bit. So hopefully it's not going to be distracting. Um, but the reason I'm going to read from the Message Bible is because this, time, this day and time that we're in, I feel is a lot like it was in the day of the Church of Colossae, which is the, Paul wrote the letter of Colossians to. And in that day and time, there was lots of change taking place. Um, the church had come to know Christ, but in, in the um, day that they were in, it, there was a lot of, well, you know, it's Jesus for us, but... It's, you know, this for them and it's this for them. And there was a lot of things going on. So the church was kind of just laying down what the word really said and allowing people to kind of do whatever they want in the name of peace. And I think, unfortunately, our culture does that a lot today, too, is that we try to dumb down the word so that it makes people comfortable. And I just don't believe the word needs to be dumbed down. And I don't believe we need to be comfortable. As a matter of fact, I think comfort is overrated. <laughs> and, you know, it, we, we tend to run from pain or change or anything that requires um, much of us. But um, that's where real growth comes, and that's where we really see deliverance a lot of times. So I'm going to read this, and then I'm going to probably, I'm going to interject a lot of things in here. So if you'd be 
patient with me. It says, I, Paul, have been sent on special assignment by Christ as part of God's master plan. Together with my friend Timothy, I greet the Christians and stalwart followers of Christ who live in Colossae. May everything good from God and our fathers be yours. And as I was reading this over and over and over again this week, I, I interjected just as I was reading it. Um, because this could definitely come from Buddy and Tanya to you. I, Buddy, have been sent on this special assignment by Christ as part of God's master plan. Together with my friend Tanya, I greet the Christians and stalwart followers of Christ who live in Pocosin. May everything good from God our Father be yours. And I believe that's their heart. And I, I know that from what I've seen and how they serve in this community, but not just how they serve in Pocosin, how they are willing to go out over and over and over to wherever God calls them because they are a part of God's master plan. But so are you. Every single one of us in this room are a part of God's master plan. Our prayers for you are always spilling over into thanksgiving. We can't quit thanking God, our Father, and Jesus, our Messiah, for you. We keep getting good reports on your steady faith in Christ, our Jesus, and the love you continuously extend to all Christians. The lines of purpose in your lives never grow slack, tightly tied as they are to your future in heaven, kept taught by hope. The message is, a tr is true among you today as when you first heard it. It doesn't diminish or weaken over time. It's the same all over the world. The message bears fruit and gets larger and stronger, just as it has for you. From the very first day that you heard and recognized the truth of what God is doing, you've been hungry for more. It is vigorous in you now that you have learned it from your friend and close associate. He is one reliable worker for Christ. I could always depend on him. He's the one who told us how thoroughly love had been worked into the lives by the Spirit. And I have to tell you, I think those are really encouraging words. And that the Lord would speak those over you, this body that meets here as KTP. It would be really encouraging to me if I was um, one of you that met here on a regular basis. Because it's saying God looks at, Paul was saying to them, he sees your faithfulness. He sees that your love for Christ hasn't been thwarted since you started to know who he is. Be assured that from the first day we heard of you, we haven't stopped praying for you. Asking God to give you wise minds and spiritual attune to his. And so acquire a thorough understanding of the ways in which God works. We pray that you'll live well for the master. Making him proud of you as you work hard in his orchard. As you learn more and more how God works, you will learn how to do your work. We pray that you'll have the strength to stick it out over the long haul. Not the grim strength of gritting your teeth, but the glory strength that God gives. It's a strength that endures the unendurable, spills over into joy, thanking the Father who makes us strong enough to take part in everything bright and beautiful that he has for us. And this speaks so loudly to me because learning to work the way that God works is critical to us as followers of Jesus Christ. Because if we work out of our own strength, it's going to be some days that gritting your teeth, oh, I have to do this again. I have to go again. Another something else is required of me. Or I have to lay myself down again for the sake of this person who rubs me the wrong way or whatever it is. But as we learn to work like God works, it becomes fruitful. God rescued us from dead-end alleys and dark dungeons. God rescued us from dead-end alleys and dark dungeons. He set us up in the kingdom of his son he loved so much. The son who got us out of the pit we were in, got rid of our sins we were doomed to keep repeating. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read something like this, I know where I came from. I know the sins of my past, and I know the path that I was on that led to destruction. And I am so thankful that God got me out of that. Now, for some of you, maybe you were raised in the church and life, you know, didn't take you or you made good choices and you didn't go down those bad places. And so this might be harder for some of you to understand. But the reality is without Christ, we are all in sin. We are all in need of a savior. No matter whether it's something like my past that I can look at and say, gosh, I am so thankful that I can encounter you. You know, that somewhere along the line, you took me there. 
And I can tell you, yesterday was my son's, my oldest son's 39th birthday. And for whatever reason, it was one of the most emotional days I've spent in a long time. And I think it was because I remembered being that 15-year-old mother. I remembered thinking then, what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? You know, what I what do I know about being a mother to this other child, to a child? And yet every day I would wake up and say, God, cover for my ignorance because I don't know how to do this. And I didn't know how to do it. I was not even saved at the point at the point that he was born. But I knew that there was a God up there who knew me. And so learning to do things the way that God does and learning to trust in him and seeing where he has brought me and my son and my son's family. My son's a great guy. He's a He's a man of God who loves his wife and loves his daughter. And it could have been so different, you know. It could have been because um, children of teenagers, unfortunately, a lot end up being um, needing to be in programs for help because um, just because of the way that they have to live and the fact that they live in single-family homes and they don't have the benefit of all the good family can provide for them. So for me to look at his life now and see how God really answered my prayer and covered my ignorance all along the way to have this young man who's not so young anymore, you know, 39, his last last year in his 30s, he was reminded of a lot yesterday. So I'm very thankful, and I know that you are too. Um, we look at this son and we see the God who cannot be seen we look at this sun and see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. Bottom line, it's Jesus. There is nothing else. Everything that we encounter on every single moment of our lives starts and ends with Jesus. Everything. It's not Jesus and. It's not Jesus and KTP. It's not Jesus and Pocosin. It's not Jesus and my family. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And once we take our eyes off of ourselves and off of our own problems and off of what's going on and get our eyes back on Jesus, that's when we learn to work in this world like God, which is fruitful. He, had, he was there before any of it came into existence, and he holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes it and holds it together like a head does a body. I love that picture. Can you imagine what your body would look like without its head? How could it function without its head? It can't function without its head. Neither can the church function without Christ. It can't become a, a place that we gather just because we want some social activity in our lives. It has to be about Jesus. It has to start with Jesus. It has to end with Jesus. He was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade. He is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there, towering far above everything, everyone. So spacious he is, so roomy that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms got properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. Do you know what that means? It means he leveled the playing field. He means, he, he said, Lisa, your sin is no greater or no less than Buddy's or Tanya's or Stan's or Lori's. We're all in this together, and the blood of Jesus Christ leveled it all. When you come to a knowledge of him, it's, it's a level playing field. So I can't look at my brother who's on the street, for lack of uh, something else, and say, oh, I'm better than him as a Christian. Or look at my brother who's very successful in this life from the world standard. And say, oh, I'm not as good as him. In, the, in God's economy, Jesus Christ leveled the playing field. We're all the same. Covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
given eternal life through that blood and completely forgiven and loved because of that gift. You yourselves are case study for what he does. I'll leave that alone. At one time, you all had your backs turned to God, thinking rebellious thoughts of him, giving him trouble every chance you got. But now, by giving himself completely at the cross, actually dying for you, Christ brought you over to God's side and put your lives together, whole and holy in his presence. You don't walk away from a gift like that. Well, there were times that I did walk away from a gift like that. I can remember walking away. But what I've experienced now and what I understand now is that I truly had not experienced it. Because once you have experienced an encounter with Jesus Christ, you really don't walk away from a gift like that. So that would be my question to you today as we continue through this book of Colossians. When you have an encounter with Jesus, nothing else will be okay. Nothing else will do. When you have an encounter with Jesus, you really don't have to um, fight things from the past. You just have to keep your focus on Jesus. Keep your focus on him. You don't walk away from a gift like that. You stay grounded and steady in the bond of trust, constantly tuned in to the message, careful not to be distracted or diverted. There's no other message, just this one. Every creature under heaven gets the same message. I, Paul, am a messenger of this message. I want you to know how glad that I am that it's me sitting here in jail and not you. There's a lot of suffering to be entered into in this world, the kind of suffering Christ takes on. I welcome the chance to take my share in the church's part of that suffering. When I became a servant in the church, I experienced this suffering as a sheer gift. God's way of helping me serve, laying out the whole truth. The mystery has been kept in the dark for a long time, but now it's out in the open. God wanted everyone, not just Jews, to know this rich and glorious secret inside and out, regardless of their background, regardless of their religious standing. The mystery in a nutshell is just this, Christ in you. So therefore, you can look forward to sharing in God's glory. It's that simple. That's the substance of this message. We preach Christ warning people not to add to the message. We teach in a spirit of profound common sense that we can bring each person to maturity. To be mature is to be basic. Christ, no more, no less. That's what I'm working at so hard, day after day, year after year, doing my best with the energy God generously gave me. I want you to realize and continue to work as hard as I know. I want to continue to work as hard as I know for you and also for the Christians over at Laodicea. Not many of you have met me face to face, but that doesn't make any difference. Know that I'm on your side, right alongside you. You're not alone. I want you woven into the tapestry of love, in touch with everything there is to know of God. Then you will have minds confident and at rest, focused on Christ, God's great mystery. All the richest treasures of wisdom and knowledge are embedded in that mystery and nowhere else. And we've been shown the mystery. I'm telling you this because I don't want anyone leading you off to some wild goose chase after other so-called mysteries or the secret. Our world would like to know what the secret is to life. Because life, um, as Paul just said, does sometimes include suffering. He was in jail when he, when he wrote this. And he actually said that he was glad that he got to partake of that suffering. Not many of us are glad during suffering. But the only reason he could say that is because he knew Christ. Because he didn't put his eyes on his suffering. He put his eyes on his Savior. And that is the secret. That is the secret for all of us. It's really that simple. My counsel for you is simple and straightforward. Just go ahead with what you've been given. You received Christ Jesus the Master. Now live him. Don't you love this? Y'all are just being so quiet. But don't you love this? It is, this, is, I, this, isn't, this is as simple and basic as it gets. But this is where life starts for all of us. This is life. 
If we are followers of Jesus Christ, this is where it is. You're not going to add anything to it. We're not going to make it some big hoopla. God won't let us do that because the hoopla is in him. It is really just in him. You've deeply, you're deeply rooted in him. You're well constructed upon him. You know your way around the faith. Now do what you've been taught. I love this. School's out. Quit studying the subject and start living it. There's people in this room who feel like you don't have enough knowledge. You don't have enough. You, you, just, you, don't, you wouldn't be able to answer everyone's questions. So it would be difficult for you to share Christ with people. You have everything you have, need because you have Christ in you. So what Paul's saying is don't wait. School's out. You have Christ. Move on. If you don't know the answer to a question that somebody asked as you share Christ with people, then you say, I don't have the answer, but I'll find the answer for you. And really, it's just in relationship. This, this is all Paul is saying here. It's about relationship. It's about relationship with Jesus. It's about him becoming my savior, but also my friend. The person that I look to every morning. And we're a part of the body of Christ. And he specifically put us this way because we need each other. But sometimes the body becomes the God. And then the head is chopped off and there's problems there. So we have to make sure that we keep Christ center. And that that's how we encourage each other. So when I'm down, you tell me, get your eyes back on Christ. Sometimes it's as simple. Some people have the gift of mercy and passion, compassion and all that kind of stuff. And so it's nice, you know, and, and often we'll seek those people. We'll, we'll seek the people that are going to pat us on the back and tell us it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And some people have the gift of, uh, I don't know what the word is, but... Um, I'm just saying, looking at you and say, hey, you are much too awesome to wallow in this mess. You need to get up and be who you are. Because who you are in Christ is sufficient for everything that you come across. Every single situation that you come across. And I'm not minimizing people's pain. Because I understand pain and I know that you understand pain as well. It doesn't change the fact that the truth is Christ is sufficient for every situation that we come into. So school's out. Quit studying the subject and start living it. Let your living spill over into thanksgiving. Watch out for people who try to dazzle you with big words and intellectual double talk. They want to drag you off into endless arguments that never amount to anything. They spread their ideas through the empty traditions of human beings and the empty superstitions of spirit beings. But that's not the way of Christ. Everything of God gets expressed in him so you can see and hear him clearly. You don't need a telescope, a microscope, or a horoscope to realize the fullness of Christ and the emptiness of the universe without him. When you come to him, that fullness comes together for you too. His power extends over everything. I'm going to read this again because I think it's incredibly important. You don't need a telescope, a microscope, or a horoscope to realize the fullness of Christ and the emptiness of the universe without him. See, sometimes as followers of Jesus Christ, we just have that fullness. It's just there. And we forget about the emptiness of the universe without him. Which is why it is incredibly important for us to remember that. And not to get safe in these little places, but to be out there living your lives. And that doesn't mean everybody quits their job and becomes an evangelist. What it means is that your place of work is your place of evangelism. It is the place that you represent Jesus to the world. Whatever that is, and it can be at, at um, NASA or at the school system or at the 7-Eleven or wherever it is that you work, but that is your place that you can present Jesus to the universe in a way that compels people to want to know what it is that you have that makes life different in, in the midst of all that's going on. And we live in really trying times, but what I see happening is God is bringing some, it's just like accelerated. 
his kingdom, bringing heaven to earth and bringing the body of Christ together. And it's an amazing thing to watch if you just start looking for that. It's easy to see all the things that are going wrong. And it's easy to spend time focusing on those things. But if we just take a step back and say, okay, here's the reality. Whenever Christ, whatever your philosophy is on when Christ is going to return, and I don't really have an opinion. It could be tomorrow or it could be another 10,000 years. I honestly don't know. But what I do know is that living in darkness without Christ, there are people dying in this world today without Christ. Now, I don't remember if I shared this with you all before when I was here, but, but I'm going to share it now simply because um, Paul said he could say thank you to God for his suffering. Like he was actually thanking God for, the, for being able to partake in the suffering. That seems really foreign to our ears and to our hearts. And honestly and truly, it seems foreign to mine. But there was a place in time that I went from being a follower of Jesus Christ, knowing him and living in the light of his love, to being in that dark place again. And experiencing darkness in a way I had never experienced it before. And it was when I had a, a young son who became ill and he died within 24 hours. And he was perfectly healthy one day and dead the next. It was the most devastating thing of my life. And I can tell you that my heart, my best friend, Jesus, and God the Father, I didn't know anymore. That same God that with the birth of my first son, I cried out to and said, you've got to cover for my ignorance. You've got to cover for my ignorance. Cover this young man. Had allowed this other young man to die. And I was so angry. My heart was so broken. I said to him, I don't know you. You are not who I thought you were. And I don't have anything to say to you. Now, I'm not happy that that's how I responded to that place in my life. But it is the truth. And for the next year... Every morning I would wake up to this God who had been my very best friend that I talked to about everything and said, I have nothing to say to you. And I did that every day for a year. And then one of my friends who wasn't even a believer, who worked for me, I was her boss. But I, she'd, I'd been her boss for many, many years. So she felt close enough to, to get in my face one day and say, I don't know you anymore. She says, you used to love God and find the best in every person. They could just be anything. You know, they could, you could find a beggar on the street and you would find something good to say about him. And now you're cynical and you're hard and you're, and I said, what do you know about what I'm going through? First of all, she wasn't a believer and she didn't have any children. So I, and she was like right in my face, and I was her boss. So it took a lot of nerve of this woman to stand in front of me that way. And I said, you just get out of my face. You don't know anything. She says, I know that you have three other children at home that need you. And I don't know who you are. So I'm sure they don't know who you are. And I told her to shut up, basically. You shut up and get out of my face. Well, I went home with that word that day from work. And for the next three days, I it just kept coming before me. Just kept coming before me. And finally, the third day, I went back to work and I said, okay, I'll go to church. I'll go to church with you. Because you were right about one thing. My other kids deserve better than what they're having to deal with right now. So I will go to church with you. I said, but where are you going to go? You don't know anything about church. And she said, well, my sisters have been going to this church. And if you want, we'll go there. I said, okay. So we went. The church that she took me to happened to be the church that I went to as a little girl. Up until the time I was about eight. For whatever reason, my family stopped going to church at eight. I don't know to this day why we stopped. But they took me back. To, she took me to this church. And there were actually people still there. <laughs> 
that were there when I was an eight-year-old that knew some of the, the elders of the church that knew me, knew my name when I was introduced, and I knew their names from being there. But every week I would walk in and I sat in the back, back left sign. I would take my kids into Sunday school and I would sit on the back left as far back as I could get. And I would look in front of me and I would see all of these people singing hymns to God, praising him. And I would sit there because I was in this dark, dark place. And that happened week after week after week. I was faithful to go every Sunday morning. I would not sing the songs. I did not change my mind until almost a year to the day. I was sitting there one day that morning and they got up and they sung this hymn called I'm Coming Home that was written by some guy in the 1600s named Kirkpatrick, last name Kirkpatrick. And I don't know what happened. I wasn't seeking God. But something happened, and I felt like the weight of the world had lifted off my shoulders, and I was bawling in the back of that church. You know, the, <laughs> you know that kind of bawling, trying to not do that because I didn't want to bring any attention to myself, but... Something happened, and I walked out of that place different that day than I walked in. And the pastor who, you know, it was a church of probably 150 people, who I hadn't spent much time with, called me that afternoon, and he said, I've seen you come into my church every single week for a year. He says, you don't talk to anybody. You don't really do anything, but you faithfully come in. You sit down. He says, but today... Something happened. He said, do you want to tell me what happened? And so I shared my story with him. And he prayed with me. And I told him, I don't know what happened. But somehow, I broke out of this darkness that I have been living in. And I think this is where I can say that I am grateful, like Paul, for the suffering. Because I experienced darkness in a way I had never experienced it before. I don't know. I wouldn't have known what people out there live like and feel like without Christ. Had I not experienced that darkness. Because when I buried Luke, I buried God with him. And when God resurrected in my life, everything was new. I could see color again. I could see people. I could see their hearts again. I could see. I, I could see. For the first time in two years, I could see. So when Paul talks about people living in darkness, being separated from Christ, I know, I experientially know what that feels like. And I can tell you, I would not wish the way that I lived for those two years in the, the darkness of my heart on my worst enemy. And so it compels me into the marketplace or into the streets or into wherever to say there is a different way to live. You don't have to live in that suffocating darkness. There's a Jesus who has paid it all for you. I don't care and level the pain. I don't care about your past. I don't care about your degrees. I don't care about your status in this world. I don't care about any. He leveled the playing field and died for every single one of us and wants to give us life, wants us to see life, to live in life where that joy unspeakable really is available, even in the midst of great and trying circumstances. And that happens sometimes. Entering into this fullness is not something you figure out or achieve. It's not a matter of being circumcised or keeping a long list of laws. No, you're already insiders. Not through some secretive initiative, initiation, right? But rather through what Christ has already gone through for you. Destroying the power of sin. If it's at 
If it's an initiation ritual you're after, you've already been through it by submitting yourselves to baptism. Going under the water was a burial of your old life and coming up out of it was resurrection. God raising you from the dead as he did Christ. When you were stuck in that old sin dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. But God brought you alive right along with Christ. Think of it, all of your sins forgiven, the slate wiped clean, the old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to Christ's cross. He stripped all the spiritual tyrants of the universe, their sham authority at the cross, and marched them naked through the streets. You've all experienced that at different places of your life. And it's a gift worth giving away. So don't put up with anyone pressuring you for details of diet, worship services, or holy days. All those things are mere shadows cast before what was to come. The substance is Christ. So we have to even lay down our religious traditions. What we hold holy. Christ even nailed that to the cross if it separated people from him. Don't tolerate people try to run your life, ordering you to bow and scrape, insisting that you join the obsession with angels or that you seek out visions. They're just a lot of hot air. All that That's all they are. They're completely out of touch with the source of life, Christ, who puts us together in one piece, whose very breath and blood throw, flow through us. He is the head and we are the body. We can grow up healthy in God only as he nourishes us. So then, if with Christ you've put all that pretentious and infantile religion behind you, why do you let yourselves be bullied by it? Don't touch this. Don't taste that. Don't go near this. Do you think things that are here today and gone tomorrow are worth that kind of attention? Such things sound impressive if said in a deep enough voice. They even give the illusion of being pious and humble and aesthetic. But that's but they're just another way of showing off and making yourselves look important. So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Do you know how easy it is in this world to get caught up with what's right in front of you? I have even said that. I mean, I even heard my said, myself say this last week. All I can think about right now is this, because this is the thing that's calling my attention right now. So if somebody's asking me a question about something that's going to happen three or four days down the road. I'm like, I can't even go there. I have to think about this. It will suck us in to thinking about what's right in front of us. That is when it is really important to pull away and just sit with him and just get your mind and your focus back on him. God's economy doesn't work like ours does. If you're already slammed to the wall busy, you think, I don't have time to just sit in God's presence. I don't have time to pick up this book and read it. I don't have time. But we don't have time not to. You, you can't, you cannot live in this world and stay above all of the oppression that this world has to offer and live in the fullness of his light if you're not spending time with him. And that time can be as simple as putting on a CD. Put one of their CDs on. I walked up this morning and Tanya's voice, honestly, from over there by the pool house was, it was like, Breathe, breathe, Lisa, breathe. Because her voice singing out to the Lord was enough to remind me, forget all that other stuff. Whatever else is calling for your attention today, you get to just be in God's presence. And it doesn't take, we don't have to do this for eight hours a day. You know, you can do it for a couple of minutes. My son, my youngest son, and I just had this conversation the other day, and it made me painfully aware of how much time I really have. And we had this conversation because I was trying to explain to him that he had more time than he realized. 
I said, okay, you work 40 hours a week. And let's say that you sleep another 40 hours a week or so. Anyway, somehow we ended up with 68 hours a week. And I think if, if any of us take a look at what we do, and we work, some of us work more than 40 hours, some of us might work less than 40 hours outside of our homes. But you're going to sleep, even if you sleep 50 or 60 hours a week, it still leaves you 68 hours a week. That's the bottom line that we came to. And yours may be more, it may be less. But when I looked at it that way, I thought, 68 hours a week? That's more than a full-time job. That's more than I sleep. What the heck am I doing with that 68 hours a week? And it made me take a look and say, I've got to start thinking about what I'm doing with that 68 hours a week. Because God has got to have some of it. I can't live without it. I can, I can go, when we started, remember back in Colossians 1, learning how to work like God works. When we read the Bible, we see how God works. He's very effective, you know, very fruitful in what he does. Your old life is dead. Your old life is dead. Your life before Christ is dead. The only way that it becomes a part of what you do today is when you resurrect it. And we do. Your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. When Christ, your real life, shows up again on this earth, you'll show up too. The real you, the glorious you. Meanwhile, be content with obscurity like Christ. And that means killing off everything connected with the way of death, sexual promiscuity, impurity, lust, doing whatever you feel like whenever you feel like it, and grabbing whatever attracts your fancy. With my children, I can remember having these conversations. It really isn't about whatever we feel like, whenever we feel like it, whatever grabs my attention at the minute. But that's what this culture promotes. You can't walk through a grocery store line, past the magazines. You can't turn on a television or a radio in your car without it promoting something that you've got to have and you have got to have it now or your life is not going to be okay. And so we spend and we chase and we substitute Christ for what the world promises is going to fill that place in our heart. That's a life shaped by things and feelings instead of by God. It's because of this kind of thing that God is about to explode in anger. I really believe that's a bad translation. And the reason is because the next verse says, I wasn't long ago that you were doing all that. It wasn't long ago that you were doing all that stuff, not knowing any better. But now you do know better. So make sure it's all gone for good. Your bad temper, your irritability, your meanness, your profanity, and your dirty talk. So I don't think in one sentence we're going to hear about God exploding in anger. In the next sentence you're going to hear you need to put all that stuff off. That's why I think it's probably a bad translation. Don't lie to one another. You're done with that old life. It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes you've stripped off and put in the fire. This now you're dressed in a new wardrobe. Every item of your new way of life is custom made by the creator. His label is on it. Isn't that a sweet thought? Especially in this day and time when you know designer clothes and designer handbags and all that stuff is really important to our um, generation. Every item of your new way of life is custom made by the creator. His label is on it. All old fashions are now obsolete. Words like Jewish and non-Jewish, religious and irreligious, insider and outsider, uncivilized and uncouth, slave and free mean nothing. From now on, everything is defined by Christ. Everyone is included in Christ. So that means there's nobody out there that he's not willing to make that sacrifice for and to freely give that gift. And we have to look at people that way. We really have to see that the playing field is, is, is leveled. And no matter what our first thoughts are when we see somebody, where we think that they're 
um, too successful for Christ, too intelligent for Christ, or too broken for Christ. It's, it's not true. So chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in your wardrobe, God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline, be even-tempered, content with second place. That means Christ being head. We don't have to grow our, you know, Buddy's not after making this the biggest church in Pocosin, so Buddy gets some kind of accolades. I don't know him as well as y'all probably know him, and I know enough about him to know that, to look at his life and see that this he's content with being second place. Tanya's content. I'm sure Tim and Denise are content with not being Christ to people, but representing Christ to people. Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other, in step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing. Cultivate thankfulness. Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense. And sing, 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 sing your hearts to God. Let every detail in your lives, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the Master Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. Wives, understand and support your husbands by submitting to them in ways that honor the Master. Husbands, go all out in love for your wives. Don't take advantage of them. Children, do what your parents tell you. This delights the Master to no end. Parents, don't come down too hard on your children or you'll crush their spirits. Servants, do what you're told by your earthly masters. And don't just do the minimum that will get you by. Do your best. Work from the heart of your real master for God, confident that you'll get paid in full when you come into, into your inheritance. That verse speaks a lot to me because that's about um, well, what God's called me to do in the marketplace. It's about we work. We cultivate these businesses to represent Jesus. And it doesn't matter. Like this is something, I don't know why I got this young. Maybe because I had to get it young. But when I started working at 15, I knew because I didn't have an education. I didn't have a lot of things that people had behind them. I had to work harder than anybody else. And I could not be concerned about how much I got paid or chase after money, I had to say, okay, God, I am working for you. And whatever opportunities that you make available, I am going to do my best. You know, Buddy mentioned that the circuit is, uh, I don't know exactly what word that he used, but it's a nice place. The reason it's a nice place is because we have a nice God. We have an extravagant God who loves us, who has no lack. And every single thing he gives us, we're responsible to steward for his glory and for the good of the people. And I learned that really young because I really did have to work harder. And I've had many opportunities over the years to be educated in the best kind of way by the grace of God. But this has been my life's motto. I will work for you. I don't work for money. And if we could all get this in this day and time when the economy is at a really difficult place. And I've been there. The rent's still got to be paid. Groceries still have to be bought. I understand all of that. But if our hearts and minds are in that place that, God, I am working for you. I'm going to do the best I can because you're my boss ultimately. This isn't just what people can see, but I'm going to work as hard and as good as I know how for you. And I'm going to trust you because he says he's our sufficiency. Our paycheck's not our sufficiency. Our jobs and the position that we hold in them isn't our sufficiency. He is our sufficiency. Work from the heart for your real master, for God, confident that you'll get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. 
Keep in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ. The sullen servant who does shoddy work will be held responsible. Being a follower of Jesus does not cover up bad work. Whew. Paul gets right to the point sometimes, and I love it. Masters, treat your servants considerably. considerately. Be fair with them. Don't forget a minute that you too serve a master, God in heaven. Pray diligently. Stay alert with your eyes wide open in gratitude. Don't forget to pray for us that God will open doors for telling the mystery of Christ even while I'm locked up in this jail. Pray that every time I open my mouth, I'll be able to make Christ plain as day to them. Use your heads as you live and work among outsiders. Don't miss a trick. Make the most of every opportunity. Be gracious in your speech. The goal is to bring out the best in others in conversation, not to put them down, not to cut them out. And then he goes on to talk about other fellow workers that are with him and finishes the book. So you've just gone through the whole book of Colossians. I don't know about you, but it excites me. The word is alive and it's real. Sometimes it's difficult. People say, I hear this all the time. When I read the Bible, I just don't really get anything out of it. I don't understand it. I don't know what it means. And there's a religious mindset that says if you don't read the King James Version or the American Standard Version, then you're doing something wrong. I would strongly encourage you, to, just as a devotional, to get a, a translation of the Bible that speaks to your heart so that you can know him. Because we can't live like um, and work like and be in this world making a difference and representing Jesus if we don't know who he is, if we don't know his character, if we still believe that he is a God that's waiting for us to mess up so he can give us 50 lashes, then that's the God that we're going to present to people. We have a young girl right now in God's Girls Ministry who is an intern for us. And I just saw on her Facebook page yesterday that she wrote, why is nobody teaching this stuff? Because she's learning that God's not mad at her. That her past is not a reason to keep her future from being bright. And it's just coming to her now. And she's like, nobody's teaching this stuff. She was raised in the church. She was raised in the church. And she feels so separated from God because she thinks that her sin has separated her. Because we have done a bad job of teaching people that the cross is enough. And it is. The cross of Jesus Christ was enough for every sin ever committed that you will do today or tomorrow. Because we still sin. We still fall short. But the cross of Christ is enough. Every day you can wake up and be alive. Sing, sing, sing to God, even those of us who can't sing. And I'm one of those. You wouldn't want me to sing out loud. But I do. In private. Because it's worth waking up to. So my question is, do you know that Jesus? (laughs) Do you know the Jesus that has leveled your playing field, who has covered every sin for you, who is not disappointed in you, who is not surprised by you, but who loves you enough to lay his life down and get you out of the darkness so you can walk in the glorious light even now, even now in this dark place? that we call life outside the door here. He's a good God who gave us a complete gift. And he'll walk us through whatever this life has to offer or whatever we have to endure because of his great love and his complete gift in Jesus. So um, I challenge you to pick up the book, find out who he is, understand his love for you, and 
And don't be afraid to share it at your workplace, at the grocery store, at the gas station. I know you guys are here in this particular group, body of Christ, with um, Buddy and Tanya who aren't afraid to talk Jesus anywhere. So you must not be afraid. You must have a real heart for the lost. Or you wouldn't want to worship in this particular place. But that's what they have to impart. They really can impart that to you. And so I would say to you, go to them and say, I want more freedom to live in this life and impart what I know and represent Jesus in a way that honors God because they have it to impart. That's all I have for you today. Amen. She cut through some ground on that, didn't she? That's awesome. You know, I, I kept thinking as you were teaching on that, and I thought about when I was a young guy, I had one of my first jobs I had was in a, in a carpet place, and she was talking about how we're woven in and how everything's level, and I kept thinking about this, and I remember having a lot of time on my hand. I was looking in the back of one of the places in, in the in the carpet place, and I looked at this one particular rug. You might, guys might remember back in years ago when they had it, it just like every color of the rainbow in this rug. Somebody's mom had one, I'm sure. And I and I kept looking at that, and and it's funny that when she talked about us being woven in that tapestry of God and that family of God, that I thought about that, and I thought, man, each one of those strings could be you, 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 any of those. But you know what? Those strings don't look real pretty by themselves. They don't do a whole lot by themselves. But as they're woven together, they make an amazing masterpiece. That's the body of Christ. Notice I said the body because she was talking about Jesus being the head. We talk about that often. And, and I just, I want to say I thank you so much for just, just sharing that with you. You know, just, she's got such a gentle spirit about her and just, just loves the Lord. And, you know, she's telling you things that uh, she's been through. And I know each of us have been through different things. Um, and we never discount one over the other. But I, I tell you, it's something about that, knowing that there's a level playing field with Jesus, isn't it? So I want to encourage you today that if you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, today's the day. You say, well, how do I do that? You know what? It's not hard. God did the hard part. He says, you know, when we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So that's your prayer today. Don't leave here without praising the Lord. Come into my life and forgive me of my sin and save me. You know, if you're here today and you heard the message and you say, you know, yeah, I remember living like that and I gave my life to the Lord. I want you to listen real close here. But I've also missed the mark along the way. You know what? Today's the day to get back in. Today's the day to get back in and say, Lord, you know what? Forgive me and let's just get walking this thing out again because there's still life left. There's still opportunity. You know, I think I'm going to have to check my, my memory. I think it's about 16 in that verse um, where it says make the most of every opportunity when you said that. What I want to say is we have the opportunity minute by minute, day by day in the family, it with friends, at the grocery store, wherever it is to, I like when she says represent. I like that better than represent, although we're representatives of him. But we represent. You know, we're, we're representing Christ. And you know what? Let's be honest. Some days we, we don't really do that real well. But I'm going to tell you what. Let's get a fresh start today. Let's get a fresh start today and say, you know what? You know what? Next week we're going to invite somebody to come and eat with us. And they're going to hear about Jesus. This week you don't have to wait till Sunday. You know what? We get together on Tuesday. And we can do some stuff. we got some really cool studies going on. But you know what? Make every opportunity an opportunity to shine for Christ. I'm going to go back to the opportunity that we had yesterday, you know, uh, going in and seeing so many young folks, right? So many young folks that were hungry for the word of God. They were reading the scripture and they, man, they were just getting with it and everything like that. Now, what do you think that does to somebody's heart? What do you think that does to the heart of God when they say yes to Jesus? That's amazing. You know, we've done some studies in the past and looked at different things. And I like statistics and that's, that's kind of cool. And, and they say most people that come to the Lord come between the ages of four and 14, if I remember right. That doesn't mean you can't get saved if you're 80, okay? <laughs> but I'm telling you, sooner is better. You know why? Because you start living and loving and sharing what God's got for you. 
And so today I pray that, uh, you know, through the message that she had and you understand that everything's level at the cross, that God leveled that so that we can come boldly to the throne of grace. I want you guys to grab hold of that and we're going to send you out with a song. Amen. Lisa, thanks so much. Give her a hand clap and we just praise God for that.